What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the E-Force with the podcast. I'm Corey, and today you're going to watch a banger. I got Gary Stewart, who's a best-selling author, New York Times bestseller. Oh, man, his journey is insane. He was abandoned and dropped off in a stairwell in Louisiana, and with his determination, he went and sought after to find out who his biological parents were. He reconnected with his mom and then found out that his dad is potentially the infamous Zodiac Killer. This one's a doozy. Uh, like I said, it's a banger. You really wanna watch this whole thing through. Um, Gary's an incredible man. He has gone through a bunch of trauma, a bunch of things, but he, like he says in the podcast, it's it's all meant to be, nothing is a coincidence. Um, but this one is, is a wild ride, and he clears up a lot of stuff. He was in a FX uh, documentary about his story, and they smeared him all over the place. So he clears up a lot of that. But it, it's a fascinating story. I'm just going to stop talking because uh, I want you to just get right into it. But if you can like this video, subscribe to the channel, and hit that bell notification so you get notified every single time this face comes on your channel, whatever, where, wherever I'm at. You're listening to me. You're watching me. I don't really care. This one is great, so check it out. Stay till the end. So enjoy this episode of the E-Force was a podcast with best-selling author and potential son of the Zodiac Killer, Gary Stewart. I'll see you next time. Peace out. What's up, guys? Today's episode of the E-Force was a podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. They're the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer. This guy, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the Lawnmower 4.0. It's got a flashlight. So join over two million men worldwide, just like me, that trust Manscaped and get an exclusive offer just for you. You're gonna get 20% off plus worldwide free shipping. Use the code EXPLICIT20 at manscaped.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another E4 Explicit podcast. I'm Corey, and today we have someone who I have seen uh, in the media uh, from his book, from his docuseries, uh, and I've been fascinated with the story. I'm so glad that he decided to come on. Um, he mentioned before uh, we got on it, this is his first interview bef- uh, since the docuseries, which is amazing, and thank you. But this is Gary Stewart, um, and I'm going to allow him to introduce himself and, and let everyone know who Gary Stewart is. Uh, thank you, Corey, for having me, man. What an honor. It's been a, a lockdown COVID kind of uh, almost two years now since uh, since I last spoke in public. I think the last interview was actually Good Morning America on wow. March 6, 20. 20 so we're almost two years to that that mark and uh, by the way that i remember um being told or hearing on the news hey whatever you do if you're in manhattan stay away from grand central station because there's this person who went through there who may have this new virus called COVID 19 uh so don't ride the subway whatever you do and uh, i'm like what is this COVID 19 (laughs) anyway that's how long ago this has been jesus uh but anyway 2020 yeah right uh i didn't go near grand central station but i did catch the coronavirus and brought it home uh, to my wife and i and uh didn't know what it was of course uh but but all is good um 
so I, um, I, I was contacted by my biological mother. It's been almost 20 years ago now. I knew I was adopted. I was raised in a, a family of adopted kids and um, uh, always wanted to know who I was, where I came from. And a lady from San Francisco contacted my, bio, my uh, adopted parents and said, hey, I am your son's birth mother. And I really wanted to get to know her, reach out to her because I didn't look like anyone in my family. I mm-hmm. uh, didn't sound like anyone in my family. Um, and meeting her two weeks later was the beginning of the journey down the rabbit hole. Uh, and, and it still never ends, right? I mean, um, 2014, uh, I published my story called The Most Dangerous Animal of All about my journey to find my father and my discoveries. Um, and that's almost 20 years ago now. Um, but the journey never ends. Um, and I, I did it because, uh, being an insecure person who, uh, just wanted to know who his parents were and why they gave him up for adoption and then having your own child and realizing how important that is to me anyway, uh, was just something my adoptive parents said, you can't not share this story. You need to make notes. You need to put it in a book, whatever. So I did that. And, you know, it became a New York times bestseller and subsequently became, uh, a four part docuseries, uh, on FX. Uh, I guess it aired in Mar- March, 6th, March 7th of 2020. So, uh, here we are. Um, that's my story and, uh, fire away. Yeah. So just for everyone listening and watching, he uh, left out like a key part of, <laughs> of the story of, you know, he's like, oh, this guy was adopted. He tried to find his biological parents. Okay, whatever. No. Well, when he went down this rabbit hole that he's speaking of, he came to the conclusion that uh, there's a likelihood that his biological father could very well be the famous and notorious Zodiac killer. Correct? Right. Um, that, you know, a little small detail, Corey, honestly, um, I, this story was so fascinating, uh, in its own right without the Zodiac part, uh, you know, uh, my, my mother's, uh, 13, my father's 26, uh, they run away. They elope four or five times. They're uh, caught by the, uh, law, by the authorities. And, and it's just, you know, the, the, the guy who, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Played in, in Robert Gray Smith's, uh, in David Fincher's Zodiac, um, uh, he, you know, that he's writing about my mom and dad, mm-hmm. you know, um, just, uh, what was enough in itself. So, but yeah, that, that was one of the discoveries I made and, uh, it, it, it was never, uh, I never, uh, wanted to find, to s- solve a cold case. My, my objective was to share this unbelievable, extraordinary story of, of young love in the sunset district of San Francisco, ending up with an abandoned baby in Baton Rouge, you know, some 2000 miles away and, uh, you know, me searching for my mother. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a fast, like you said, th- that part alone is like a bestseller in itself. And then let alone the other, you know, 
craziness with the Zodiac. I mean, how, how did you feel like whenever, like, what was that? Cause in the docuseries, they did a good job. Like those first three episodes, I was like, damn, this is like, this is really good. I'm a, also a filmmaker. So I was like, the quality was all point. Yep. The edit, everything was glorious. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but that they didn't really talk about like the moment that like you kind of realize certain things, like who your dad, Earl Van Best is his name. Yes. Um, so uh, can you kind of take me back? Like when you realized, when you found out who he was, um, not just the name, but like when you started like attaching other things of like his story uh, to, you know, determining who he was as a person and like w- what he was doing, if that makes sense. So uh, my mother, my biological mother, uh, knew things about uh, her past with my father and certainly um, she was thinking, you know, if Gary doesn't find out everything, if I can keep him from newspaper articles and police reports, then he won't see just how newsworthy his story was, right? Mm -hmm. It's just a a little boy giving up for adoption, but that's just, that's just not how it turned out. And um, she helped me with my journey. Um, and I think until the point to where I got too close, uh, and honestly, looking back, I don't know if it was, uh, her friends at the SFPD, uh, her, her husband's, her form, you know, her second husband was the first ever African-American homicide inspector, uh, in the San Francisco police department appointed in 1970 or 1971. Um, and, and he, he was since deceased, uh, when I met her. So she went to his buddies, his co-workers to help her find, help her help me find my father. Um, I think that her hope was that all they would find, you know, produce is that, yeah, you know what, you were underage because she was, she was 14 when they got married, 13 when they met, 15 when she gave birth to me here in New Orleans. Uh, and then after that, she, they went their separate ways because they were apprehended by the, the authorities. Mm-hmm. So I think her hope was that, you know, how much, how much truth can I give Gary without him finding out the whole thing that would be devastating to our relationship? Uh, and, and so, you know, uh, when I got real close to uh, some of the, I'd never heard of the Zodiac Killer before, never heard of who this guy was before. Uh, and, and the one, uh, consistent theme in the feedback that I got from the San Francisco police department friends of my mother was that, you know what? Yep. Gary's father had some issues. We have some files on him, but, um, there are things in his file. We're not going to share with you. And eventually they said, because what's in that file is so heinous, it would destroy you and Gary both. Mm. I don't know if they didn't realize that I already knew that my father had abandoned me in New Orleans, in Baton Rouge when I was 30 days old and that he was abusive to my mother and that he was abusive to me. Then he locked me in a footlocker. I don't know if they were hiding that from me because I don't know what my mother told them. My mother had information that she could have said, you know, look, I know my, my, my ex-husband abandoned, took Gary by train from new Orleans to Baton Rouge when he was a baby and laid him in the, in the stairwell of a, of an apartment building in Baton Rouge and came home without him. 
I don't know if she told him that, but there was something in my father's file that, um, that they said the, the SFPD said they wouldn't share with me. Um, you know, and I, I've since learned that there were many, many things in my father's file that they didn't share with me. And, and that's because of some relationships I've developed, even since the, the documentary came out uh, and just what kind of person my father was. Wow. Wow. And it's it kind of like the type of person you are, you're also a very successful businessman, you're determined. Um, I feel like you're going to find these answers, like, and that's why, why you were so thorough and it, it consumed you. I mean, at least in the docuseries, it, it, you talked about that a lot, which I thought was fascinating. So it's kind of um, like you were going to get the answers regardless if your mom was going to help you or not. It's the vibe I got from you because you were so determined in finding out who your father was. That was the purpose of the book. You see, yep. um, being, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the third adopted child in the Stewart household. And, you know, I can tell you at 10, 11 years old, when you've been told by your next door neighbor buddies, you know, things like, you know, kids can be cruel. Yeah. And when they tell you, you know, your mother didn't love you. So she gave you away, you know, you, as much as I don't know, I don't care how much church you go to, you can't, that doesn't resolve that issue. And right. so the, the, um, the the feeling of being unwanted and discarded for for my entire lifetime i mean i i didn't meet my biological mother until i was 39 so let's say four decades of being considering myself unworthy um and then not knowing my story and then having my son my only child uh and having this overwhelming um passion to protect him and to love him and to tell him I love him. You know, my, my mom and dad, the Stewarts were depression era, uh, people, kids, and, you know, they didn't show affection back then. My dad didn't hug. He didn't tell you, like, you know, they loved you, but I, I tell you, there's not a day that's gone by in the 29 years of my son's life that I didn't tell him I loved him. And I don't know if it was, I, I wasn't trying to be false or be um, uh, overprotective. It's just, he really meant that much to me because I didn't know my father had abandoned me, but I knew that there was a reason why my parents gave me away at 30 days old. And, you know, what could I have done? Right. How bad could I have been? Right. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that alone was the fuel uh, that, that burned in me continues to burn in me to get to the truth and get all the answers, which I know I'll never have, but, um, that still is a huge part of who Gary is today. Right. That's amazing. And that's, that's actually one of my questions was who was Gary Stewart? And you kind of already answered that. And, and, you know, <clears throat> when you were doing all this research and in the, the docu-series, at least kind of, it showed a lot of tension at a certain point with you and your mom. Um, whenever I think the what you're talking about, so you got a little, you're getting a little closer to things that she didn't want to talk about. And what I saw is your mom was like, Oh, I don't remember. She kept telling you she didn't re remember these things. And then like the second half of the documentary, she's starting, she's like saying stuff. And I'm like, well, how do you remember that? But you don't remember right. all these other things. So that kind of like threw me for a loop, but um, 
that's I'm assuming that's what you were talking about. Like she, she was kind of like almost like lying to you in a protective way, not malicious. It didn't seem that way, right? I think everything my mother did from the moment she started her search for me um, was to present herself to her firstborn, who she was forced to relinquish by her mother because she was only 15. Mm-hmm. And by the way, her mother uh, had had another child out of wedlock who would be my uncle. Um, and he was six months old when I was born. So how could that family raise two infants? So I think she did everything she, she could out of, uh, the, the hopes of trying to protect me. And, and in the meantime, I do believe, um, she was forced to, um, forget some of those dark days with my father, because it was, it was literally hell on earth for her. And, um, so yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, you saw it in the documentary there, there was tension, there was tension throughout writing the book. There've been on again, off again relationships, but I think she did the best she could do. And I think everything she did was to protect me, not just her. And, um, I can tell you right now, I have the most amazing relationship with my mother. There have been times where she believed me a hundred percent that the, the reason the SFPD was lying or not telling me coming clean about who my father was, was because they were trying to protect her second husband, Rotea. Mm-hmm. And then to the point to where she says, you know, you're crazy, Gary, this can't be, he was, he was not a big, strong guy who could kill people. Well, you know what? Serial killers aren't always big and strong, tough guys. I mean, think about it. Look back. Uh, they kill you with their mind and their planning and their deception. And, uh, so we've, we've run that whole gamut, but you know what? She is one of my best friends to this day now. Amazing. That, that's, that's great. That's, that's the best outcome. I think you could probably even hope for, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the moment that you kind of realized and became obsessed with this determination to not only just find out who your father was, but when you realized he could potentially be the Zodiac, why, why did you think that? Um, anybody can go watch the docuseries. They can see that in, in, in a certain way. And like I said, we'll talk a little bit more about that fourth episode in a minute, but when, when, and why did you think Earl Van Best, your biological father was uh, the Zodiac? So we, my mother and I had been told so many times by, um, Harold Butler and Earl Sanders, Earl Sanders was the former chief of the San Francisco police department, Rotea's former best buddies that, you know, there were things in, in my father's file that, that was so heinous that they just weren't going to share. Sorry. We're not going to tell you what all, we're not going to tell you who he really was. Right. Okay. Um, so at some point that got old and at some point I took all the information I had and I ran every Avenue possible and I just ran out of juice. I ran out of leads and I said, okay, I'm done. Um, and then it was 2004, I think July 30th, 31st, uh, watching an A&E cold case file show with Bill Curtis. They flash up this wanted poster of a, a serial killer I'd never heard of called the Zodiac killer. And it's like, I've seen that face before, you know, the one thing that Harold Butler did in, in San Francisco police department, he, he sent me a picture 
a high resolution photograph of my father saying it was an old DMV photo when actually it was his, um, his mugshot from his first arrest record uh, for statutory rape of my mother. Um, I saw that picture and I mean, the, the hair stood up on the back of my neck and I said, this is what is so heinous, right? They've never caught this guy. The case is 40 years old. Let's, this can't be true. Bad coincidence. I'm sorry. My father just happens to look like this infamous Zodiac killer, but let me go back and, and investigate everything I know about my father, which are police reports, newspaper articles, uh, and, and try to place him outside of the area of involvement or the, the crime scene of the Zodiac murders. And I couldn't. In fact, the deeper I dug, the more I realized my father was in all of those places. My father uh, knew uh, some of those victims. My father had connections to everybody that uh, the, the current investigation uh, had brought to light about those people being associated with the Zodiac killer. That was it for me. Um, I set out to disprove this and, um, the, the deeper I dug, the more I realized, you know, you, you can't run from this. There, there's no way you can disprove it. Right. So, so it's kind of like, you don't want to be like, oh yeah, my dad is this person in all these news articles and the Zodiac killer. So you're sitting there trying to figure out the ways that he's not. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? you know, there are so many things that that uh, w originally tied my father circumstantially or, or physically to that case. Um, and it's absolutely, you know, I know there have been people out there in the past who have set out to prove that their father or their mother or their uncle was some famous person. That was not my intention at all. I yeah. honestly, I was hoping to find this guy alive because I wanted my son to know where he came from and who his uh, family was on, on, on my father's side. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. Like it's the opposite of what you would, you don't go out looking like hoping, you know, for this, right. all this fame and not, you know, negative, positive, whatever it is, it, it happened because of the research that you did. And I think that's, that's what was, I thought so fascinating was like, like I said, no one goes out looking for these bad things that these people like you know fathers and people that you look for could be right. but it was just so crazy because it's like you were doing everything you could to determine that he wasn't this per potential person and then everything just kept pointing like right. to it that, that you must have felt like jesus christ <laughs> it's like you know it's 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 strange because my my mom and dad lloyd leona stewart were the most supportive people in the world look th these guys are uh, conservative teetotaling Southern Baptist Bible belt Christians, uh, who aren't in all those things. I mean, we, we sweat more stuff like gossip under the rug on a Sunday than you can imagine. These guys didn't want anything to do with anything negative. So, but every week when I go visit my parents, I tell them, man, look, I found out, you know, my father was at, um, San Francisco City College with Anton LaVey and my dad would be like, what? How does this, are you kidding me? You know, um, so every week I had something new and dad's like, you got to write this down. Nobody's going to believe this, but, you know, write it down. Keep your 
supporting evidence. Uh, and then, you know, you got a good, a great story to tell. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time. I'm one of the first people to use the Lawnmower 4.0 for Manscaped, and let me tell you, the craftsmanship on this goddamn thing is insane. It will chip away at all that down there. Trust me. I'm talking from personal experience. I use the, the lawnmower, get a little, uh, little little trimmy, trim, trim, and then I follow up with the ball deodorant. Let me tell you, if you like to go on hikes, if you like to just go outside and it's sweaty or it's hot out, Swamp Ass is non-existent. I could not go anywhere without the ball deodorant. I travel everywhere with it. It is a lifesaver, trust me. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and a grooming experience you'll never forget. The fourth generation trimmer also features a ceramic blade to reduce the risk of accidents. And thanks to their advanced skin safe technology, I feel way more comfortable shaving my boys. The upgraded trimmer also includes an on and off switch that can engage a travel lock. It also gives you the ability to turn on and off the 4000K LED light so you can get a more precise shave. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to cut through that hedge with more guard lengths with sizes one through four. Oh yeah, hey, did I mention um, wireless charging? That's fucking crazy. The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which allows the battery to last way longer than it used to. Man, listen up. If you've been using the same nut trimmer on your face, you've been doing it all wrong. I don't know about you, but I don't want to end up with pubes in my mouth. It's time to get your own ball hair and body trimmer with Manscaped and make me time the best time. And trust me, you'll enhance your confidence if you got some nice smooth boys down there. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code EXPLICIT20 at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. Right. Never dreaming it would, you know, ultimately uh, end up being, okay, so I truly believe with all my heart, unfortunately, that my father was a Zodiac killer. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and Anton LaVey, is, if anyone doesn't know who that is, he basically started the, was it the satanic church, correct? Yeah. 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 So the opposite of a Southern Baptist Sunday. Oh, I, yeah. yeah, absolutely. That <laughs> um, yeah, must have been devastating. The, connect, the, the connections are deeper than that. You know, even going back, there, there are things that I found out between the time uh, we stopped publishing or stopped editing at HarperCollins and it went to press that, you know, uh, that was in October. 2013 the book came out in may of 2014 and and sometime in february i found some dna evidence and i found some connections to jim jones uh, what the, the, the guy the cult um, leader the cult leader from the people's temple is that what uh -huh, they call that's it, it. yeah yeah um in fact my grandfather earl van best's father um uh, i have a suspicion haven't been able to prove it but i think he was ordained as a minister in the Christian church, the Disciples of Christ church, by my father's father, who was a Disciples of Christ minister. He was a, he was ordained in Indianapolis, which is where my grandfather was a preacher. I mean, this didn't make the book. There are so many things that didn't, but <laughs> and so many things that subsequently didn't make the documentary too. But it's just like completely overwhelming. You know, that's uh, that's crazy. Yeah, like it couldn't. I mean, the stars aligned for that. I mean, Jim Jones. Dev, oh my God, that would be crazy. Are you so you what what evidence do you have of his, your dad's involvement with Jim Jones? 
Um, just the fact that a, a reputable minister uh, in, uh, from the denomination of the Disciples of Christ, which is called the Christian Church, in Indianapolis uh, in 1969, 1971, I don't remember, actually ordained Jim Jones in wow. Indianapolis. And my, my grandfather was the most notable disciples of christ minister in the indianapolis area at that time he was friends with um uh senator bow governor bowen uh, otis bowen uh, he was named uh, uh, saginaw the wabash a couple of times by him he was a very political guy he knew john wow. f kennedy entered he said you know he uh said the uh, um, uh invocation at the um uh memorial uh celebration for the soldiers uh lost at sea the east coast uh, sailors memorial in battery park in new york city my my grandfather was a was a very uh popular uh political figure and religious figure in wow. indianapolis and disciples of christ so i don't you know it's putting connecting the dots i've got right. i've got no other proof than suspicion right. and i'm i'm not really looking actually i don't i don't yeah I don't need to be convinced anymore right <laughs> yeah it's enough the zodiac yeah. yeah that's enough yeah well if anyone doesn't know look up jim jones he, he basically yeah. ran a cult uh and then took them in the jungle and like guinea or i don't know where it was but uh in like the Guyana. 70s yeah, Guyana, uh, yeah, yeah. kool-aid kool-aid guy kool-aid yep and then they laid out i mean it was a lot of people like 900 people died self-inflicted uh, cyanide poisoning yep. with uh, purple kool-aid or whatever yeah. wow that's fucking crazy sorry um yeah so okay so let's talk about let's talk about the book because um uh, i bought it and uh i was like I'm okay. Just so you know, I am a, I bought it because I'm like, I always buy the books as the people who I interview, but I'm a movie guy. I'm a filmmaker. I am not like a reader. I, I like, I read through it. I didn't read the yep. whole entire thing. Cause yep. I, I kind of like what you just said. I kind of put the dots together. Like I watched the documentary and then the spots that I didn't really get to fill in, I filled in through the book. Right. So um, it's, I mean, I got a hardcover cause I think it's such a badass like just i didn't book. know the hardcover was still available actually so I, I think it's someone who had it and then okay they, yeah, yeah 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 it's one of those on amazon um but i i'm one of those where like i think it's like nostalgic almost um yeah. and the cover's so cool uh with the picture of your dad and everything like that but um yeah man let's talk about the book because you know you, you got to you took all these notes of, of what we've been talking for the last 30 minutes of took all these notes that your that your uh you know foster parents and their adoptive parents told you like you know you should really take notes of this stuff and, right. and keep it going. And you mentioned that in the doc as well. So you started writing the book. Um, and then obviously, it's, I assume it's very difficult to write a book on your own. So you would need some help, I assumed, which is your 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 co-writer or co-author. Co yeah. yeah, yeah. So what kind of stemmed from like, why did you want to make a book about this to tell your story? So um, I, I met my mother in 2002 in in may or june and by the time i started questioning uh you know what happened in her relationship with my father and she's you know she we started searching at some point in 2003 i started realizing this is a pretty you know you can you can't make this stuff up it's like a comic book you know cartoons on a sunday paper 
I just started journaling things, you know, and found out about the ice cream romance and, and so forth. And, and, and I guess I did that with the intent of just having good notes uh, for my son. So I'd be able to tell him the story, right? right. He was only 10 years old when I met my, uh, my biological mother. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm an engineer, I became an electrical engineer. So I'm kind of a, a it, it's either it's a one or a zero, it's a black or a white, you know, is no gray area. Data. So <laughs> I, I just wanted to have that stuff, those facts. And so I started journaling that. And um, at some point in 2005, um, I decided, man, that what kind of great story would this be? Right. You know, it's all true. So uh, and did, didn't, you know, before, even before the Zodiac, uh, revelation, uh, in 2004. Uh, so it went, as it turns out, I had enough information, enough data and had written, oh my gosh, I actually had 500 pages of stuff at one time and, uh, got in touch with, uh, a, a couple of, uh, literary agents um, who were fascinated with the story. Mm -hmm. um, and it just ended. There was no DNA. There was no other evidence except the circumstantial part of the story. Uh, and bounced back and forth. Eventually, I got this, uh, this real posh uh, boutique uh, literary agent who's like the literary agent to the stars. You know, he did, he, he's done some some crazy celebrity uh, stories out there. His name's David Vigliano. Um, and, and he took the story and without polishing it, uh, he went right away to pitch it to 31 of the major, um, publishing houses Wow! and, uh, had two, two phone interviews. Um, I think it was random house and double day. I don't know. Anyway, basically they said, if you don't have DNA, you don't have a story. So what they're saying is Gary, all of your emotion and passion, and you're telling your story about finding your mother and looking for your father. That's all great. And everything It's a, it's a lifetime movie, but it's not a New York times bestseller. Right. We need the Zodiac thing. It's like, well, I can't, I can't produce that. <laughs> you know, this is my speculation. I don't have access to the DNA of you know, the San Francisco police department has. So that was in 2006. I remember Vigliano wanted to get the book published before Fincher's movie came out in 2007. Didn't happen. Kind of got cold. I forgot about it. Said, you know what? I've got, I've got a real job. <laughs> I need yeah. to get back to work. And right, right. Um, uh, so um, the more I tried to avoid it, the more data and more information kept just falling in my lap from strangers uh, across the country. And, and I decided, you know what, I've got to do this and ultimately got, um, uh, who, who became my co-author through a mutual business friend. Um, and, and we put it together and with a new agent and, uh, BG Dilworth actually took that manuscript now more revised with lots more, uh, concrete evidence, to all 31 publishers who had turned us down before. And, um, we got a bite from Harper Collins and they just loved it. Wow. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, made an offer the, the same day we did the pitch. So they, they rejected it before and bought it 
um, was that 2012 when they actually um, picked up the manuscript. So from 2006 to through the six years before they came back and said, you know what, we believe this. Let's, wow. let's, let's publish this book. That's amazing. That's crazy that they took, I mean, because they interviewed the guy from Harbor Collins too and uh, yep. the doc and they were yeah. like, this is a great opportunity. It's a great book. It's a great story alone. Right. I mean, the Zodiac thing is, that's probably obviously as a Harper Collins, they want to sell books. And that was like a big part, which is probably why sometimes they got, you got turned down a lot. Cause like you of said, you, you couldn't provide DNA evidence on an open active case. <laughs> we were very fortunate um, uh, that Michael Signorelli, who was the acquisition editor who bought my store rights to my story for HarperCollins? He was amazing. You know, young guy uh, making his way in the literary world, believed the story, loved the story. And some, some, you know, I don't know if you realize it, but in, in, in the past 10 years, the, the publishing world has been turned upside down on its head. There've been more acquisitions, you know, there were the big, big, big six when I was pushing my story and now it's like the big five or the big four they're they're gobbling each other up Michael right. Signorelli went to a different uh publishing company right after they acquired my book so that's called being orphaned so this would be the second time in my life I've yeah. been orphaned <laughs> and you think you got a great story and just want to tell the story for all the right reasons and um and then you have no editor well, fortunately for me, um, his, his boss at HarperCollins loved the story wow. and, and believed in it enough. She actually, as a vice president, took it on and, uh, and brought it to the, the state that it is now. And, you know, um, 10 days after it was published, it became a New York Times bestseller. Yep. No, I, it's, so, I saw that and I was like, uh, it, that's quick for uh that's like yeah. some like hey oprah had you on her show type stuff if that right. makes sense remember when she right. would have books and stuff oh, on her show yeah. oprah's book club right? <laughs> yeah right right yeah if you're in that you're no matter how bad your book is or how good it is it's yeah, yeah. it's if oprah if oprah endorses it it's good but yeah jennifer barth picked it up and uh really just she did a great job with it. you know their job at the publisher is to take a good story mm -hmm. and to make it a new york times bestseller and of course, she yeah. was successful you know, that's amazing. Well, like, you know, they talked about your, uh, your, your co-author in the docuseries, uh, what's your yeah. relationship with her now? You know, um, we, we don't have one and it, it was mutually agreed upon. Um, uh, when we first started filming and, and I'm going to say that was in, February of 2019. Mm -hmm. um, of course, number one, I, I agreed to give up my life rights, my global rights to the film uh, world to Ross Dinnerstein at Campfire Productions um, because I met with him. He flew here to New Orleans and uh, you know, I, he told me some of the things he had done. Um, he actually brought a director with him. Uh, and I apologize, I haven't done research on this, but the, the, the director he brought directed the, 
the docuseries for Steve Gleason, the New Orleans Saints uh, linebacker who uh, contracted or got ALS and had his own stories. Great, great series. Um, as it turns out, whenever uh, Ross purchased the rights to my story, um, this director had one of his lifelong opportunities come true that he'd been working on for 10 years. So he had to bail. He couldn't direct the series and I felt really good about him. Um, so we went to plan B um, and Keith Davidson was the next guy up. And, um, you know, I believe and I live that everything happens for a reason and there are no coincidences in life. I don't believe in coincidence. I don't believe in luck. I believe, you know, my, my opinion, Corey, is uh, God is in control of everything. He's always been in control of me and my well-being. And it's not always been beautiful. It's not always been perfect. And I've got example I'll share with you later. Uh, there's tragedy involved, but in the end, you know, uh, we're not in control of this. There's nothing coincidental about it. Um, Ross picked up a director, Keith Davidson, um, who he also flew to Baton Rouge to meet my wife and I. And uh, I remember meeting him downtown Baton Rouge at the hotel and stuck my hand out to shake his hand. And he didn't say, hello, my name is Keith. He says, um, he said, I'm not buying it. And I said, okay. Oh, I'm not convinced. You know, he had read the book and I'm like, okay, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Um, but, but it's okay. It's not my job on this end to convince you of anything. I have a story. And everything in my book is a hundred percent accurate, right? right, I, right. I would have never, because of that love and trust between my son and I, I would never put anything out there fabricated or not. And you're right, by the way, I'm a businessman and, and my, my business is based on relationships and I, I'll tell the truth and that's it. You can't push me not to. So anyway, we went through dinner that night and uh, we just didn't hit it off. And from that point forward, um, I, I have my beliefs about how this thing went sour for the end of the third and the whole, the entirety of the fourth episode. But um, Keith Davidson also was abandoned by his father and could never understand or appreciate my desire to meet the man who gave me life. Right. He said, Gary, why don't you love your adoptive parents enough? Why are you so infatuated with Earl Van Bess? It's like, I'm not infatuated. I want to see the guy, you know, what, what about him looks like me, what, what his voice sounds like, what, who his parents were, right? Because right. the genetics are, are a real thing in this life and, and adoption's only part of it. And so he, he, you know, he really did not, you know, he said, but I'm, I'm going to give you a fair shake. We're going to hire investigators. We're going to do this. And if, if we end up proving you're right, so be it, you're a hero. And it's like, I didn't want to be a hero. I just, <laughs> I just want the truth to be out there about my journey. This story is Gary's journey to find truth right. and find his father. And um, I think we got past episode two. And the reality is, and Ross Dinnerstein told me this. He said, Gary, 
even though you had this mound of evidence, there's no way on this earth without a hundred percent proof positive DNA match that we were going to solve this case with this documentary. So understand, I, I, I sold my rights to campfire productions for, you know, um, a little bit, but campfire sold their film rights to my story to Fox to FX for a whole lot of money. Right. And they're not paying for, for, um, uh, fizzle pop. They're paying for drama. They're paying to solve a a huge 50 year old serial killer case. They're paying for, you know what they're paying for is an Emmy award. Oh, for sure. Yeah. They want all the accolades. And, and so I think we got halfway through filming. It was in July sometime and they realized, you know, there's no way to prove that Gary's right, but there's really no way to prove he's wrong. So what do we do? Um, look, and but the time we started filming to the time we stopped filming, you know, I had this sweet little lady come out of the woodworks. Her name's Irene. She was my father's best friend from the time he was eight years old. Uh, until the last time she saw him she was his first love Uh, they went to church together and she she invited me to her house I got to meet her she told me stories you know I knew by my father's transcripts from his high school that he missed his uh, a whole semester Uh, and it said due to illness Um, Irene was alive and well during the filming of this documentary, and uh, I sure wish that they had chosen to bring her on because she told me, Gary, you know, your father got really upset one day at school, and he came looking for me, uh, and he was going to attack me, but I wasn't at home. I was at a dentist appointment, so he threw my cat out the window. He killed my cat, um, and when I got home and saw the house all turned upside down um your father had gone home and the cops were there and they call me because they knew i was your father's best friend and they asked me to come over to talk him down from the ledge and and he was given a choice you go with the cops or you go with the ambulance right she talked my father into going with the healthcare professionals and that's why my father turned 18 in a mental lockdown, in a mental institution, because he killed his girlfriend's cat and may have done something else if she had been home. Right. That could have been part of the documentary, right? Yeah. But it wasn't. It was conveniently left, left out. out. So um, you know what? They got a lot of drama. In fact, it's funny. Uh, nobody knows this, but um, the documentary aired, I think it was March 6th four hours, you know, four parts, um, uh, the, the Emmy Academy television arts Academy reached Mm -hmm. out to me and, and said, you know, I've, I've been recommended as a, as a voice actor uh, because of the voice work I did on the documentary. And it's like, well, that's kind of cool. Even though they make, you know, made me out to be some kind of psychopathic pathological liar in the documentary fabricating of it, which I did not do at all. I never got the last say, uh, and, and going back to your question, um, I was ambushed that last day of filming. Okay. I, I really believed that Ross and these guys were taking good care of my story. 
And uh, I last setting, I sit in my chair and they said, you know, you made this up. And I'm like, what, what I make up. And by the way, so when we finish, we're getting your co-author Susan to come sit in the seat. Uh, and we're going to, we're going to ambush her too. And by the way, do not call her. Don't text her. She's in a car with a producer riding around right now. Uh, and we've got her phone turned off. So you can't even warn her what's going on. So I'm like, seriously? Okay. Um, yeah. And, and I did get upset because they had taken something that I'd given my whole quality and integrity as a human being to producing a true story. And they chose to leave out so much and try, you know, let's have the grand finale. This is going to be the great um, uh, season ending, right, yeah. uh, of this series. And FX going to win an Emmy, best documentary. Well, boy, too bad uh, Tiger King came out and beat them all. That's <laughs> um, uh, yeah, reality. Um, but anyway, uh, I never got to, and I didn't because I'm a man of my word. When the, when the direct, when Keith walked me off the site and I said, Dude, I can't believe you did this to me. This is my integrity. This is my quality as, as, as being a businessman for 30 years. And you're, tr you're trying to trash my reputation and then telling me, I can't call Susan and say, beware. He said, it's your story, not mine. I said, you didn't tell my story. Wow. You told your story. And that was it. Wow. Um, and, and, you know, Susan was shocked. You saw her reaction on the documentary. Yep. Um, that was it. And she chose, you know, for, for months I went to LA to film. I was the, the, the narrator. Right. And, and she only came in at the very end. I remember her calling me several times being in the, the car, being driven to the set for my interviews. And I, I tell her, I said, Susan, something's not right. You know, I don't trust these guys. Right. They're, they're asking questions that they don't listen to my response. And, and they try to make me you know, go a different direction and say other things. She's, she said over and over again, she called me Stuart. I called her Mustafa. So <laughs> Stuart, you're thinking too much. Enjoy this. This is the best time of your life. You're going to look back on this as the most incredible thing that ever happened to you. And it's like, Susan, it's not that, right? Believe me, it, this something's not right. And as it turns out, I was right. And she was wrong. Right. Yeah, no, that's, it's so funny that like hearing like from the, actually the person that it came from their mouth and you were there on set, you could totally tell from episode one and three, and even towards the end of three and into four, yeah. your demeanor changed, um, like how you, you just were. And also just so everyone knows the magic of editing can make anything look and sound like what it is or what it isn't. Absolutely. Um, I, as soon as I saw, like you warned me about episode four, I went into it with like an open mind, but also my like filmmaker side was like, they're asking him something and they're editing it. Like they'll show B roll instead. And they'll use something you said before. <laughs> yeah. It's just like classic. Like when you watch reality TV show, you they'll say something that will ignite a fight, but you won't see the person say it. You heard him say it. And it's just, it's one of those things where I was like, damn man, like, that you could tell, I could totally tell that they were manipulating the story to fit their narrative. Uh, and what's great, what's crazy is they did such a good job of, of basically proving the things that you were talking about. And then they did they a complete 180 on episode four and just like discounted literally 
everything that you that you said and then right. you also like like but what you said though is i kept every time they discounted you i'm like well yeah but they're not proving that it's not true so they're right. just like it's almost like a smear campaign is what i got from it you know one thing uh for sure Corey, is uh i i did not do any research just like today i did i didn't pull out my book and read it again i i know my story better than anyone so uh, I think I sat in that chair uh, for this documentary for like 120 hours to get four 45 minute segments of film. Um, I didn't I didn't research. Yeah, I know my story. But when they pulled that uh, that blatant vanilla comment, you you know, you made this up, you you plagiarized the, the, the rap sheet. I'm like, what? OK. Now my mind's, you know, I'm an engineer. I'm thinking, what are you talking about? What did I plagiarize? And then they wouldn't give it to me. And then I kept saying, I, I said it over and over. I can't educate you, Keith, the director. I said, I can't educate you in DNA and, and, and what, what I'm, what I know and what you don't know. And he said, but you, you plagiarize the rap sheet. And I just shake my head. He, he would say, look in the camera, look in the camera, trying to capture my rage and 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 i said you know dude you're so show me what i've plagiarized well they never did but i i eventually found out what it was um and and it's the the page of my father's rap sheet where my father was finally apprehended and they they um uh, sentenced him to 90 days observation at ash well, they said I wrote that into the book. Well, I did type that into the thing because I called Lieutenant John Hennessy, who gave me the rap sheet. I said, Lieutenant Hennessy, what does ASH stand for? He said, Atascadero State Hospital. So I, I wrote it out clearly in the manuscript so that nobody would have to guess. Right. Um, yeah, I, it, it just, you know, I, I wished I'd have known it was coming because I may have reacted differently, but it, there was no changing the outcome. They were going for a big bang moment. Mm -hmm. uh, and unfortunately, the, 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 only, um, the only positive outcome for them was if they could make me look like um, uh, just a complete uh, untrustworthy person who fabricated this for fame. And who needs fame and fortune? Look, uh, I, I, it's going to be 20 years um, next year that I first met my mother and started my research. Look, those trips to Mexico City, those trips to San Francisco to, to research my, those trips to South Carolina, those trips to the library, all that research, nobody paid me for that. Right. And, and the money I got off of the book, and even though it's a New York Times bestseller, <laughs> I'm still in the hole. Right. I didn't yeah, okay. do this for fame, fortune, or money. Right. I mean, right. uh, I, I, I've, I have my own life and my own career and my own family. And you know what? What's amazing about this is everybody who knows me um, has been by me since day one and even more so after episode four aired. Right. That's, that's honestly, I don't even know you. And I like, even though you pre-warned me, I've seen the doc before I even reached out to you. I've I initially felt that way when I watched it because I'm like, they use the fact that you typed in the A-S-H uh, thing because, and they use it in a perfect way for your co-author, basically saying like, hey, 
he typed this in. Yeah, he typed it in because he got it directly from the person who absolutely they didn't put that part in it. They left that part, which is crucial out of the entire thing. If you would have known that, like you said, you could have just justified it like, yeah, the person who basically knew the report told me what this meant. And that's why I made it easier. That way people don't have to guess what that acronym meant. Exactly. Um, that's exactly what I did. And I didn't want to tell when Susan would tell me, Gary, enjoy it, Stuart. You're just, this is going to be a great documentary. And I'm like, Susan. So, you know, Susan had written a couple other books about several serial killers here in the Baton Rouge area. And she'd been on TV so, so many times um, on documentaries, you know, and she, she does a pretty good job. But Susan uh, is very uh, camera shy and, and a little bit uh, her anxiety is way up when it's time for us. And they knew that understand that these directors and producers got to know us over the course of a year yep. and they had me figured out and they had her figured out. And they knew when they dropped that bomb on her, rather than say, hang on a minute, let me call Gary. Right. Cause Gary's got the answer. Gary yep. always has the answer. He knows his story. She let out a couple of uh, F-bombs or whatever, and and there you go. Yeah. They got their drama, right? Yeah, I'm going to burn the book is what she yeah, said. Yeah, I'm going to burn the book. Yeah. yeah, I was like, come so, on. Yeah, I know. I, I was definitely taken back by that. I was, I, was, <clears throat> I was more disappointed, honestly, because everybody went so far to make this happen. And then because you couldn't solve a 40, 50-plus-year-old crime all in right. a four-hour part series, which is insane to think anyway, you got – kind of like you said fx was like this needs to be a banger yeah and if honestly you're right if tiger king didn't come out y'all probably would have cleaned up because it was so. fascinating and it yeah. was any of the time that lore is involved with zodiac and stuff like that it's always a a winner and and it was done that's what that's what also what disappoints me is it was done so well you know visually it looked great sound was great the B-rolls, everything was so good and thought out. And then yeah. they, they, to me, they ruined it by making you out to be this like nut job who thinks his dad is a Zodiac killer when that's not even, that wasn't even your main thing anyways. It was you crazy know, to me. It's, it's, it's funny because uh, I, I, it's been a couple of months now. Um, my phone started blowing up. Uh, because this group of old cold case investigators have claimed to solve the Zodiac case once and for all. And I'm like, you know, my, um, several people asked me, so what do you think? I I'll be completely honest with you, Corey. I said, I hope they got it right. <laughs> Nothing would make me happier than to know I got it wrong. And it was just a whole lot of bad coincidences, right? right? A whole lot of bad circumstantial evidence. And, but I could be free, right? Because I've got a son and I've got two grandsons now, you know, yeah. they are the lineage of Earl Van Best Jr. Um, and uh, for them to know, because this is going to be in their life forever, right. um, which I, I did it knowing I was very proud of my adoptive parents in my story and the legacy of the most dangerous animal of all. And you know what? It's actually a love story, Corey, that, that love story is about my mom and dad who got in that terrible car accident and lost a child to make room for their, their second, third adopted child, which would be me, by the way, my mom's still, still here B90 in, in January. I took her to the doctor, her hip from that car accident in 1961 is still bothering her, but wow. she's still kicking. 
Um, the, the, the love story about, you know, having parents love me, even though my, my adopt, my biological father threw me away. Um, and then me having a love story between me and my only son. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's huge. 12 weeks ago today, uh, my baby boy, my son was hit by an 18 wheeler, the guy in the documentary, Zach. Um, and some angel of a paramedic revived him on what? site and he, and he broke his neck in three places and he was paralyzed from the neck down. Um, I am happy to, you know, how, how many bad car accidents can happen in one family's, uh, lifetime, but, but you know what? Zach's walking today. He's talking today. He's, he's not hundred percent back yet, but I know he will be. Oh and his two God. little boys after not seeing their dad for eight weeks, have their daddy home. Wow. Um, that's the most important thing in the world to me, my family, the love I have for my son, um, considering I know my father threw me away and my adoptive parents loved me unconditionally, not blood. And, and I hope taught me to be a good person and a good father. This, the most dangerous animal of all is a love story right. about a, an, a crazy, unbelievable story that you, you, it's just too crazy to make up or to believe, but it's all true. You know, the Zodiac thing. Great. Um, I, I was, I was hoping they were going to provide some DNA evidence, um, that, that said they've got the guy and it wasn't Earl Van Best Jr. Um, but on the same token, um, all of the accusations that were made against me in episode four of the documentary, did they show one bit of proof what they claimed? Not right. at all. Nothing. I've got the paperwork. I've got yeah. evidence of what I proved. They said, oh, this guy said he wasn't in Atascadero. Show me the form that shows where he was. Right. They can't because he was in a Toscadero. I right. mean, they, they did, they, they made accusations, but they didn't support their claims with evidence like I did. Right. You're exactly right. And the, the biggest part that threw me off was when the guy, they had those two local PIs, this father yeah. and son, and they were talking about like the taxi driver murder. Um, that was kind of like not the Zodiac's kind of MO, MO at the yeah. time. Um, he, you know, point blank shot this taxi driver. If you want to go watch the movie Zodiac, you can watch that or good movie. It's a great, it's great movie, yeah. fantastic film. Fincher's yeah. a legend. Um, anyway, that was like, kill me. Cause he's like, oh yeah. Uh, we did see evidence that he lived during this at, the, you know, two years prior to the murder, but I'm like, okay. Could he, he could just still live there for two more. It, I was just like, duh. Like they, they did not allow me crazy. to review any of the tape. Oh, number one, understand. I was not, I, part of my contract was I was not going to be an executive producer. So I had no say so no in say. The editing yep. and what would go in there. Um, but I, I can tell you, wow. Gary Stewart pulled data straight out of the Polk city directories in the San Francisco library. My father was living at what was it? 749 Bush street when Paul Stein was killed. Right. Exactly. Yeah, they made it seem like, yeah, he was there, but he was there two years before. They nah, never said never he's still, even if it was two years, he could, he could have lived there for two years. Like right. he could still be there when yeah. that murder happened. It's just, they made, I was so pissed when I saw that. Cause I'm like, you guys are really not doing a good job here by, but, but it sucks because a lot of people aren't aware of those things. 
and they think, oh yeah, they, they did a very good job of a smear campaign, um, in my Absolutely. opinion, they because did. they made you look, you know, they, like you said, they, those still shots and of you getting visibly angry. You could tell, like I said, your demeanor changed. They they used all of those to your, their advantage, which is a shame, uh, because your story is fascinating alone, aside from the zodiac thing. Um, I don't know. I was just, and then I'm I'm glad you kind of brought up the um, the Gary Post thing. Uh, the guy, yeah. who, which is also another thing. I feel like all the evidence in this entire case is circumstantial. Uh, circumstantial. There's sure. nothing that's like, you know, eyewitness testimony. Oh, right. I saw Earl Van Best. Oh, I saw, uh, you know, what's his name? Um, uh, Arthur Lee Allen. And then I saw, mm-hmm. you know, Gary Post. There's none of that stuff. So I, everybody's angle, they get confirmation bias, they get tunnel vision, but no one from all the research that I have done has had the best circumstantial evidence than you. Well, if that I, makes sense. I, I, I appreciate that. And look, I've, there, there are so many things that were not included in the book because of uh, the value of print space by HarperCollins and in the documentary, because right. there was an ulterior motive, right? Um, but you know what? The people have said, you know, Paul Avery may have not written the ice cream romance articles. Paul Avery interviewed my father. Paul what? Avery wrote those. You know, everybody I, I contacted at the at the Chronicle said that was Paul Avery. So the hidden underlying motive, uh, it it was there. Um, the name and the ciphers, all these things. Uh, but you know, like you said, I had and and look, the I remember when I got the reels, the four reels for the documentary ahead of time, and I I sent you know because. I asked my son, Zach, because I love him more than anything in the world. I said, you know, if you don't want dad to publish this book, I won't. He said, dad, go for it. I'm big enough to handle it. And he was what, I don't know, 14 years old. Um, And, and then at 28 years old, I uh, sent him the reels and I remember him calling me back. He said, wow. He said, dad, it's really hard to watch people, you know, trying to destroy the reputation of my hero. Right. You know, and, wow. but you know what, Corey, had they produced one piece of paper, one piece of evidence that could refute anything I claimed and, and support anything they claimed, I'd be okay. But they, but they didn't. So, right. and you know, the, the reviews were brutal. The reviews for the doc were like, oh, this money grabbing, you know, so forth and so on. <laughs> Dude, if you knew the emotion and the years of life I've exhausted trying to tell a story of hope about an abandoned infant who can become somebody and whose father didn't love him and didn't want him, who can have their own child right. and, and him have children and, and become somebody who feels worthy to be part of a family. You know, if I could get that message of hope across to anybody who reads or watches then I'm, I'm, I'm happy with what I've done. And the reviews were brutal. Um, and you know, it is what it is, but like I said, the people that know me, um, just were like, Gary, this is just wrong. What are you going to do? It's like, I'm not going to do anything. I, I trusted my gut to go with Ross Dinnerstein and campfire productions. And, um, they took a shot at, at, at an Emmy and, and they missed. And, uh, unfortunately, uh, the, the, um, uh, drama was more important than the truth. Right. Yeah, no, that's a great way to put it. And that's, you know, the, the doc, like I said, it was, it was good until that point, unfortunately, 
But I mean, kudos to you, man. Cause I know like, I mean, even on YouTube, when I see comments and I'm like, Jesus, man, these people can be brutal, let alone on a high level, you know, magnifying glass situation that you were in because they, like I said, did such a good job of make of, of discrediting you without really any evidence um, with the magic of editing and making you look a certain way. Yeah. It was just, like I said, disappointing. And, um, you know, the, this is why I like podcasts and long form conversation because, you know, people like you can actually tell what happened. And we didn't really go into detail of the Zodiac case. If anybody, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. <laughs> if anybody wants to, I'm sure you don't right. want to talk about it again, but if anybody wants to do that, they can watch the show. They can read your book. They can right, right. do and just Google any of that stuff. Um, but I, I thought that the, the Gary posting was interesting because this is another issue I had was this this group of like 40 plus investigators, I mean, counterintelligence people, FBI, yeah. like big high profile people um, that have a lot of experience recently, literally, and the time that I started talking to you till now came out with, and they're certain, of course, that uh, Gary Post was the Zodiac killer because of X, Y, and Z. And anyone, like I said, go Google that. It's, it's, it's relatively new yep. news. San Fran PD came out and said, it's still an open and big investigation. Yeah. So right there tells you, eh, yeah, because they, they also know more than anyone. I feel like SFPD. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, they do. Um, but they're, they're, you know, I've dealt with, um, three, uh, four, uh, uh of the Zodiac inspectors from the SFPD and what they don't say in the documentary and uh, what, what I know for certain um, is there's no more circumstantial and otherwise evidence uh, for one suspect greater than Earl Van Best Jr. I'm not proud of that. Look, I presented <laughs> what I presented. And honestly, if Gary Post was a guy, I'm going to go do cartwheels in the front yard and right. run to my son's house and tell him, hey, we don't have a defective gene. <laughs> Grandpa's it's not all, the Zodiac. <laughs> right, right. Um, but you know what? Um, uh, one of those investigators, and I won't say his name because he says something totally different on the on the uh, documentary, he said, you know, your, your father is the best suspect we've ever had. Right. Yeah. They use that to their advantage, too. And that that little meaning they had. I, mean, I saw yeah. that and I was like. These fucking sorry, I guess a little bit. <laughs> These filmmakers, man, they're really doing a disservice. But um, yeah, man, I I think, like I said earlier, I think of all the not that I'm an investigator, I literally am an idiot when it comes to that stuff, but I'm kind of like very interested in this kind of stuff. And I think it's very hard to discredit Earl Van Best as a potential zodiac uh killer. Um, you know, that's yeah, yeah, it's not something that you were like, oh, like you want to tote, like you've been saying this entire time. So you know, I think you've handled everything well. I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So yeah, they said, you know, people said, you know, what do you do? And at some point, you know, it got pretty um, frustrating uh, for me right after the documentary came out. And I, I just basically decided, you know what, I'm done. Uh, everybody asks, you know, so when are you going to do the sequel? You know, uh, there's not going to be a sequel to my book, but, you know, maybe because the the things that happen and are documented in my book the most dangerous animal of all to the miraculous recovery of my now soon to be 90 year old mother um, from that accident where she should have died um, to now um, my son in the same position 12 weeks ago today 
I think he's got a story to tell. And that right. story is of hope and miracles. And, and uh, you know, even if there is some, some dark stuff sprinkled in there, we all have that. Yeah. Um, but, but the story continues and, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of done with it though. I'm, I you bet. know, I'm, I'm looking forward to retirement. I've got a great family. Um, uh, we're, we're happy, uh, and we're healthy and, um, uh, no more books for me. Um, but I stand by my, uh, I stand by my book, the most dangerous animal of all. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, until somebody comes along and proves that I'm wrong, I'll still say it's the best account <laughs> available. So, right. no, I I'm right there with you, man. I totally agree. I think, like I said, Thank I, you. you have no, you have the most plausible, uh, evidence as far as that. Cause like I said, all of it's circumstantial at some point, you know, no one's been like, right. Can point them out. So, right. uh, even DNA can sometimes be circumstantial, right? Um, who knows? Who yeah, exactly. Knows? Who knows? But, uh, I think that's part of the lore too, of the Zodiac. It's like, it's kind of like this mystery. It's always been a mystery, you know, and it's, it's, it's fascinating stuff, but you know, I, I know, yeah, I know we got to get out of here soon. So I, I want to let you out of here, but man, Gary, thank you so much for coming on and, and, and kind of recounting these things and kind of really clarifying a lot of the stuff that if people go watch this, uh, docu-series and stuff. I hope they can watch this and understand like what really was going on with that, um, that right. documentary. Yeah. You know, is um, I, I really, uh, Ross and I became friends. In fact, I participated in some of the, the pre docu-series release publicity from ABC radio sitting side by side with Ross and good morning America and all these things I did. And I did it because I made a commitment to that guy. Right. Uh, he said, man, I love your story. Um, you're, you're being honest. And, and I, I gave my word, I'm going to give you my best and the truth until the very end, even though knowing that they had smeared me, um, I was still going to be there. I wasn't going to shy away from anything. And I tried to indicate that, Hey, it's Hollywood. Maybe you didn't get all that you think you were going to get out of this, but, right. uh, uh, but anyway, no, I thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure uh, visiting with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, and that's another episode for the eForce was a podcast and we'll see you next time. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code explicit 20 at manscaped.com. That's right. 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code explicit 20 at manscaped.com. Unlock that confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.